Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is social media. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on those running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zensalo, and it's my honor to serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, social media. Is it appropriate for a church to do social media? Absolutely. Okay. And I think most, maybe I'll check the most and say many congregations are already participating in social media. Okay, let's take a step back then. Mm Mm-hmm. What kind of social media are we talking about specifically? Great question, because there's lots of them. So the yes, ones there are, <laughs> right? There are tons, especially depending upon your generation. So I would say Facebook is a given. Okay. And Twitter is a possibility. Okay. Then there's Instagram. Mm-hmm. There's Snapchat. Mm-hmm. What are some of the others that are out there? That is all I know, <laughs> and I have a teenager. <laughs> oh, you might need to learn more. I know I need to learn more. That's right? the problem. Let's see. There's Tumblr. Oh, yes. There's, I, I mean, I'm showing mine. I don't have a ton. Well, there's YouTube. Yes. YouTube is another area where you could say that's social media. I have a Pinterest page. Oh, yes. Okay, so there's another one that a church could have. I'm thinking of all the links on the bottom of my website, takemywheels.org, right? All the way at Mm -hmm. the bottom of the website, there's all the little social media icons. So Mm -hmm. you can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on YouTube, and you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Instagram, and you Mm -hmm. can find me on Pinterest. I don't have a Tumblr. I never had a MySpace. Oh, well. Did you? so, like, a decade ago. (laughs) More than a decade ago now. Facebook was beginning a decade ago. But all of those different ones, especially Facebook and maybe Twitter, are two areas where people kind of really show up on. And Twitter is more the individual than the church. So like... Your pastor would have an account, but not necessarily the church as a whole. Correct. Or if the church does have one, it's attached. It's getting fed through by their Facebook feed. Okay. Another one might be Patreon. If you I have, have no idea what that is. <laughs> if you have particularly gifted musicians or artists in your congregation. Okay. Patreon is a site for artists to find patrons mm-hmm. to support them and make pledges. And so I don't know if a congregation would necessarily have a Patreon account, but maybe your church musician or church band would have one. Okay. That would be one way to increase participation, get some backers on a monthly basis. Well, there's a question for you. Is this primarily for an information exchange or are you actively recruiting, trying to, you know, get new believers? Exactly. <laughs> I think the purpose of different social media is based on what that social media is really used for. Okay. And each one of those different areas, each one of those platforms Mm -hmm. speak to a different demographic and to a different purpose. So there's lots of, if if you go on Pinterest, you'll find lots of infographics on this information. Sure. And you can get some distilled images that give you some snapshots about what things are good for what. So if you're looking to talk to business owners, individuals who are maybe in their 40s and older who are higher up in the power structure of different organizations, 
and who want to share their individual points of view and be a public leader in a sphere. That's Pinterest? Nope. Nope. That's Twitter. That's Twitter. Oh, interesting. Twitter is this place where high-powered individuals go and give their tweet of their point of view. And yes, there are conversations. You can get Twitter conversations that happen. And a lot of those happen via hashtags so that people can search and find that conversation line that happens. So the whole hashtag Me Too movement, right? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things can happen, but it's a lot of personalities and people with significant amounts of power whose voices get really heard via Twitter. Mm -hmm. So profiles that are like Central Lutheran Church's Twitter profile, people aren't watching Twitter for announcements like that. I do follow Portland PD, for example, Portland Police Department. Okay. And if there's something going on, I will go into the Portland Police Department Twitter feed and I'll refresh it just to see what's going on and if there's any announcements about it. And so there are purposes for like quick, informative Mm -hmm. kind of things, but you need to know what accounts to go to for that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's more, more along the lines of espousing your general beliefs about things. Okay. That's Twitter. Okay. So you would find a Pastor Amanda Twitter account. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't necessarily find the Central Lutheran Church Twitter account. Right. And you'll find like the Central Lutheran Church one is just being fed by Facebook and is kind of an automatic response. It's not really alive and breathing. Mine, P-R-A-Zents, I think is my handle on there, is also not very active. Mm -hmm. I don't do a lot of tweeting out of stuff. It's just not my style. Mm -hmm. I'm not someone who tosses a lot of things out. And I don't have a lot of followers. So it's not like I'm engendering conversation on Mm -hmm. Twitter. I do follow some people. I do check that nightly. I'll go through the Twitter feed. I don't check mine regularly at all. But I did join for one particular person. (laughs) And I joined for Leslie Jones when she was doing the Olympics. Nice. Mm -hmm. And I joined back... I think in 2009, when the churchwide was doing the vote. Oh, interesting. And so ELCA Churchwide Assembly 2009 was the hashtag, and I was following it and refreshing it when I couldn't be watching the live stream video. Because you were going to get real-time Exactly. Updates. I was getting information from that. Nadia Boltzweber, this was before she became well-known, And she's at at Sarcastic Lutheran is her handle. Nice. And she was at CWA 2009, and she was live tweeting it. Sure. And this was before she was as famous as she is now. She wasn't a New York Times bestseller yet. And she was just being her snarky self, and it was really amusing. So I started following her during that as I was watching the hashtags go through. That was when I went on Twitter, and I do a lot more lurking on Twitter than I do actually participating on Twitter. I don't consider myself nearly witty enough (laughs) for anybody to have any interest in following me. But I do enjoy the people. There are some insanely clever people. Oh, there are. That's where I follow Bernice King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter. I follow her on Twitter. And... More than anything else, I think that's why I log on to Twitter now, is I log on to see what Dr. King is writing and to see what she's posting in a day. And it's always 
challenging and it's always hopeful Mm -hmm. and focused and she's brilliant. That's who I open Twitter for. Fantastic. Is to learn from Dr. King. So that's kind of that purpose. And then your question was, what's the purpose of this? Mm -hmm. So on Twitter, it would be more for people to interact with a personality. So it would be me, right? Mm -hmm. Or if we had someone in the church who was live tweeting the service, you could interact that way. Sure. Or maybe a conference or something that's going on. Something like that, right? So maybe that would be a use for it. And there are some pastors who like maybe three, five years ago were using Twitter during their sermons. Really? So, oh, you you can live tweet something you hear from me and then like have it scrolling above them or on the screens or whatever so that you could have like Twitter conversations happening while you were preaching. And that's fine if you have staff to manage that and you have people who want to go on with that. It's kind of past. It's not very active anymore. So people have moved on to Facebook Live. It seems like the a Facebook Live stream. Very specific type of congregation that might appeal to. I think you can do it in any kind of congregation, but you really do have to have a tech savvy one, and sure. you need to have one that's integrated their tech. So if you're in an architectural situation like ours, where we have no tech in our mm-hmm. sanctuary other than a minimalistic sound system, you're not going to be able to integrate it as easily. Mm-hmm. But Now we have Facebook Live. Periscope was around for a sneeze. And that was... (laughs) That does sound familiar. Right? That was like a year and a half ago and was around where you would live stream via Periscope. And that has become then Facebook Live. Okay. Which Facebook Live has only been going for about a year, which is hard to believe. That is hard to believe. I think less than a year because it's become so ingrained. They did a great job of wrapping it in and Mm -hmm. marketing it and letting it take off. And their platform is really effective. Mm -hmm. And so what does Facebook have to offer? Well, a lot. Mm -hmm. Let's face it. Facebook offers a lot. Well, just the sheer number of people you could reach. Let's start there. You can reach a lot of people because it is fairly diverse in age group. Sure. Let me put it to you this way. My parents whom my father refuses to get an iPhone or any sort of texting device, Mm -hmm. they have a Facebook page. Right. And there are grandparents. Mm -hmm. There are many grandparents in their 70s and 80s. They may not be joining groups and being part of secret groups oh, they and having conversations. They don't thing. post, but they're lurking and they're watching family pictures and all of those different kinds of pieces. So Facebook does allow for that. And the church's Facebook page, what I have discovered, I don't spend a lot of time curating content on the Facebook page. I'm not putting out Bible studies. I'm not trying to do daily devotionals. I'm not trying to... It seems another way to get information out there, not unlike the website. Right. And it can be, and it can be an easier way to push stuff. Facebook's algorithms are so difficult to try to, and they change them so much, Mm. that spending a lot of time pouring energy into planning and programming content to push out Mm -hmm. may not even make it on anybody's feed. Oh, interesting. So in some ways, for a smaller congregation whose members are not interactive with the page, I don't know how beneficial it is for the amount of time that you have to put in to keep a page. And money 
because now they're expecting you to boost posts. Sure. To put it into people's feeds. So I used to, at the beginning, I was doing all the events, programming all the events, and all the special services would get an event page and inviting everybody to those and trying. I don't spend the time on that anymore because it's not as beneficial. Mm -hmm. It's already lost its jazz. But what I do use it for is I use it to live stream Mm -hmm. because it's efficient. Its uptime is great. Mm -hmm. It's more consistent than Ustream. It drops less. Nice. Than other live stream services. I can do it from my phone. I can have a member do it from their phone. And so I don't need any special equipment to be able to make it happen on a Sunday morning. And my elderly homebound members can find it very easily. That's worth a lot right there. And so my live stream service is not an attempt to... Hook anybody in. Hook anybody in, get new members, intrigue people. It's so that my sick homebound members or someone who's recovering from a surgery Mm -hmm. or our young member who just moved to her first apartment, but she's not going to be living in downtown Portland. She's in her first apartment. She's out in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. because that's what she could afford, right? That's reality. And is she going to get up early on Sunday morning to drive in? Well, no, but she can live stream and she can still be a part of the community Mm -hmm. because she's still hearing it and she's still engaging and she's still engaging in conversation with us. You know, of course, ideally, we get people into the room. Mm -hmm. But when people can't come in the room, Facebook live stream is awfully convenient Mm -hmm. and awfully accessible. So that's become my primary focus for Facebook is that video sourcing. And that's been great. And I'd say I've been using it for the last maybe six months. Mm -hmm. And it's been working like a treat. So that's where we do the Facebook piece. And sometimes the Facebook live videos you can have a conversation about. And people can talk and react throughout. And then they can leave messages. More than just in the comments? It happens during the live stream. Okay. And so if you have someone else monitoring the live stream... Oh, you can chat with them. They could chat. Real interesting. During. So I've seen some members chatting with each other. Afterwards, when I go back and check the comments, I can see that members were chatting back and forth with each other through the service. I think that right now, that is one of the most effective platforms for live streaming service. Interesting. So does the ELCA, the head body of the Lutheran Mm -hmm. Church, do social media stuff? They do. And oftentimes what they're posting out are like, Memes, prayer pictures. Memes. I need to go take a look because my son does nothing at 17 but inundate me with every meme he comes across. Right, but it's not like a 17-year-old. I know, but this is why I'm fascinated to go look. Like a prayer picture. So like a beautiful landscape with some scripture over top of it. So So it's it's basically an inspirational poster. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's a lot of inspirational posters. Okay. Just checking. (laughs) And they're not even cute kittens. Um, (laughs) Opportunity lost. Oh, seriously. Now I want some like, (laughs) like some fun kitten inspirational poster. Hey, you know, next manga, we could make them. We could make them. That could be fun. Mm -hmm. So I see the ELCA participating that way. It is also a way to push out social statement and information. So when there's a newsletter, kind of like we do on our Facebook page for Central, When we publish a newsletter, when we put out the weekly e-news, when I send out my porch talk, that kind of thing, it all gets posted up to Facebook. 
it's going to come into your email if you've signed up for the e-news for e that newsletter, email. Sure. And it's going to post up on our Facebook page. So if people want to find out about us, they can find it. I'm assuming we're talking mostly Facebook and Twitter for yeah. the ELCA? Uh, yeah. So the ELCA stuff, when the presiding bishop puts out a statement, that kind of stuff, that'll mm -hmm. get pushed out via the social media. And Bishop Eaton has her own Twitter handle mm -hmm. and puts stuff out on Twitter sometimes. Yes, mainly on those. They might have an Instagram account that I just don't follow. Okay. And so I don't know about. I know that our publications, like the women's magazine, Bold, has an Instagram account. Okay. And a Facebook account and that kind of stuff. And, and I'm sure they're on Twitter. All that kind of stuff. You could follow them in all those places. But it's more about putting information out than it is engendering conversation or community building. Do you think that's kind of the way this is going to go? I mean, social media just starts to play more and more of a role in most people's lives, whether you really want it to or not. When I developed the curriculum that I'll be launching now that my doctoral work is done, and I'm at that oral defense and launch point, when that curriculum launches, I've created a Facebook group for it. Okay. And the intention there is to actually begin to engender group conversation. And hopefully, maybe it could take off that way. You know, I'm a member of several different Facebook groups that are actually really wonderful little communities. So mm -hmm. there's one group that talks about ways in which we're taking care of ourselves and how we're doing that. I've got a couple different groups, one that's walking alongside of someone who's in the midst of divorce processes and a private group of someone who's working on fertility issues. I see those groups and the way that they function and I'm hopeful that maybe a group like that of people, like-minded individuals striving towards a common goal who want to support one another, mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that something like that can be created around this curriculum that I've designed and that people from all over the world could then have those kinds of conversations together. And I think when social media is at its best, that's the kind of thing it can be. It doesn't have to just be this pushing information out. But it's a place for conversation and it's a place for interacting with one another in places and ways that we don't normally get to do that. Mm -hmm. Or with people you wouldn't necessarily get to. Right. And maybe not even people that you're going to be friends with mm -hmm. on Facebook, but that you have a common interest with. Mm -hmm. And so you'll participate in these kinds of conversations. And so we'll see. We'll see if it takes off. We'll see if there's any interest in that. But... I find a lot of value in several of these small groups that I can touch base with when my life allows it. Mm -hmm. And that's when social media is, I think, at its best. Its powers are used for good and not evil. Right. And not just groups that are about complaining about something, uh -huh. but groups that are about common goals, common loves, common passions, common excitements. Mm-hmm. And sharing those things with one another. And so I know it's hard to get people involved like that. I think mm -hmm. that some congregations have tried to create Facebook groups within their congregations for that kind of ministry work to happen with each other online. I have not seen a church have that take off yet. It often just becomes another place for pastor-driven content. Sure. And heaven knows we don't need any more pastor-driven content. Well, it's still tricky because you're talking primarily a text-based 
right. conversation. And I think we've touched on that in the past of how hard that can be when you don't have other cues. Yeah. And it's very easy to step on toes. So easy. Mm-hmm. So very easy. So the others that we mentioned, like Instagram, is a great place where you share photos. But it depends on how it's being used. Like a church might put stuff up on Instagram, and you can. And if members start participating in it, awesome, great. But again, it's another one of those platforms that's often individual-based. And so yeah, it's you get a lot of lifestyle it, people, right? You get lifestyle and you get, it's about people kind of stuff mm-hmm. and their personal story and images of their personal life. I have never joined Snapchat. No, I've chosen not to specifically because the primary users of Snapchat were kids under age, especially until the last like maybe year. Uh huh. In its beginning, this was where kids went to get away from their parents on Facebook and they would go to Snapchat, and it was anonymous, and it would disappear. Uh-huh. And there is... That's its major selling point. Right. And there is absolutely no reason where I, as a pastor, should be in a conversation that disappears with someone underage. Period. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, like, there's absolutely no reason for me to have any conversation with any parishioner that disappears. If I'm having a confidential conversation with that person, we need to have that one-to-one in a room with a window or in a public sphere. It's just not appropriate. Well, unfortunately, that statement can be made about more than just a pastor and an underage person. Absolutely. And that's where I'm, I have no need for Snapchat. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and this is where I think a lot of people of a certain age are saying, I don't understand why the church feels like it has a role in social media in general. And I have a colleague who has had Snapchat, and she uses it with her kids, with her own biological children, mm-hmm. right? And then she's engaging in their world, mm-hmm. and it means a lot to them that she engages their world and understands their world. And that's really, really good. I am not a parent. Mm-hmm. So I don't— Well, and that's not the role, I think, that we necessarily want the church to play in our lives— I think sometimes kids love it when their pastors care about stuff that they care about. Yeah. And kids would not understand the boundary crossing. Oh, no. Of their pastor having a Snapchat with them. They would just be like, oh, cool, my pastor's on Snapchat, right? And it's not the 13-year-old's job to understand that I don't need to be Snapchatting them. No. It's one thing for me to be Facebook messaging with them and have a Facebook message conversation with them at 1130 at night because they've caught me and I'm up and they're scared and they're wanting their pastor to pray for them. And I respond to them because I'm awake. Mm -hmm. Right. But those are held onto. And if Mm -hmm. anyone wants to ask me about them, I can show them to their parents. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't do any of the things that erase after 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And that's just my choice as a pastor. If I put something out there, then I assume that I could be asked about it in the future. That goes for all of my chats. That goes for all text messages. That goes for all emails. That's just reality for me. And so when I participate in social media, that's the reality. Do I have some privacy set on my Facebook for some smaller groups of people that I share some stuff with that I don't share more publicly? Yes. Is it still material that If all my privacies were stripped away and everybody in my congregation could read it, would it be harmful or hurtful to anyone? No. 
they would just see that there are days that I'm cranky and tired. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Not at anyone, but just in general. Or that I'm feeling insecure and asking for prayers from my friends. It's not anything that's wrong. It's just stuff that in the moment is good for my friends to see, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the conversations about churches and about pastors on social media. And when Facebook really was taken off, a lot of pastors created two accounts Mm -hmm. before privacies could be easily controlled. A public and a private, essentially? Exactly. And I did that. I had a Facebook account for people who were in my congregation or a previous congregation. And that was the one that I mainly used. And then I had one under not a pseudonym, but like I used my middle name Mm -hmm. as the main handle. And that was for family and friends only. And over time, a lot of people felt like pastors were leading double lives on Facebook. There Mm -hmm. were complaints then about, well, why can't my pastor have one account? What are they trying to hide? This leads into a whole nother discussion about social media and what the current generation is going to come up against when they start going into the quote unquote real world and the trail they're leaving behind. Mm -hmm. And as time wore on, for myself, I shut down those first accounts and I created the single account that I use now Mm -hmm. and just have different privacies set so that I manage who sees what on my page. Mm -hmm. I think it's not about living a double life for for a church to put out some material for its members and some material for the public. Those are all questions that everyone's talking about with social media now and what's real and what's fake and what's... I think real and fake are horrible ways to put it. I think general boundaries, because everybody needs boundaries. Exactly. And privacy, Mm -hmm. which social media makes a big question of what's mm-hmm. what is private and what is not private anymore. I was just talking today with a colleague who has heard about something where and we don't know the actual name so younger people would have to clue us in on this. Okay. But it's like this Insta, it's the second Instagram account that you uh-huh. have that is the locked down private Instagram account. Uh-huh. That you can share pictures with just your friends and family with. Versus the Finstagram, which is the fake Instagram account. Oh, I haven't heard this one. I heard one. that one today, too. There you go. So these are all the pieces that we're having to kind of suss through. And as the church enters into these areas, one, we live our lives as Christians in public ways. What we post, how we post it, how we interact, what we say, it's just like when we're driving with a fish on the back of our car. Mm-hmm. If we are flipping people off and cutting people off and we have a Christian sticker on our car, then that is what people see and think is what a Christian is. Mm-hmm. If we are out in the world on social media and we're bad-mouthing people and we're complaining about people and we're spreading anger and injustice and... That's the public face you're presenting. That's the public face you're presenting, then that's the face of your faith. And so I think it's very important because social media is so present in our world. I think it's important for the church to be a part of that. I think it's important for religious leaders to be a part of that. And we always represent our faith when we are doing that, Mm -hmm. especially in North America in this time. And so doing it with intentionality and care and with integrity, integrity meaning that what you believe and what you act as match, mm-hmm. right? Not like 
I don't know what else integrity can mean, but that you're wanting things to line up. Mm -hmm. You're wanting things to be accurate to represent yourself out there. And so you don't really get the luxury of just spouting off and (laughs) and being vitriolic if you want to say that you are a, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say it's not Christian to be angry. That's not what I'm saying. Uh Uh-huh. But it isn't Christian to be hateful. Fair enough. Right? I think it's a human nature thing. But to be hateful, to troll, to demean, to break down, to be cruel intentionally on social media, these things that happen, I think that that conflicts with the heart of who we want to be as people of faith. And so how we live our lives out on social media absolutely is going to be watched and judged. So just putting that out there. So folks can totally come and follow me on all the various and sundry different platforms. I'm not on Tumblr, not on Snapchat. I'm not even on LinkedIn. Like I keep getting all these requests (laughs) for LinkedIn. And I know that LinkedIn is like a really good business thing, but how I get my calls is very different, so I don't exactly. have to maintain one more, like one more social media. Just one makes more my, password to remember. Oh my lord, have mercy! Like I just don't have the energy for that anymore. <laughs> you know, you can follow me on YouTube. I've had a YouTube channel for many, many, many years now. So all those different ways you can totally follow and interact with me personally as a pastor and with the church, with Central as, as an organization. But who I am online matches who I am offline. And that's just, I think, what we have to do. Well, that leads me to my last question, which is, what is your favorite form of social media? Favorite or the one I'm on the most? No, I want your favorite. (laughs) At the end of the day, I, Amanda, like going on probably Pinterest and Instagram the most. And I've been on Pinterest since the very beginning of Pinterest. I held off forever. Like when you needed the invite, Uh I was one of the people who could invite you. Nice. (laughs) I was in early on Pinterest. I don't love some of the changes that it's had, but I, I still like it a lot because it's a place to go for ideas and to see beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And that for me is a bonus. And I think that's part of what I like with Instagram, the things and the people that I follow mm-hmm. on Instagram right now. It's a lot of yarn spinners. Mm-hmm. And so I'm seeing a lot of really beautiful fiber at the end of the day, literally when I'm trying to like turn my brain off, mm-hmm. looking through pictures of beautiful fiber is lovely. Yeah. And not Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Where everyone's one upping one another and there's a lot of angst and anxiety. Oh, yes. And so I'll engage there because I think it's important that I see it, but I won't end my day there. No, not unless I'm J.K. Rowling. She can handle Twitter. Yeah. Oh, she can totally handle it. I still need to like put down the spike of adrenaline <laughs> yep. that comes from reading something that, you know, I want to one up or I want to be like, oh yeah, Stephen King, way to go. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I need to see things that are calm so that I can try and rest for the night. That's what I go to Instagram for. That's what I go to Pinterest for. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about churches and social media. 
I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. You are welcome to come following me at all the social media places, including following The Church Basement on iTunes. We would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Facebook. You can tweet me or Facebook message or all of those things. And you can always use an old-fashioned email by emailing us at podcast at centralportland.org. We look forward to hearing from you. And until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.